almost don't need to say anything after that, do I? It's good to be back with you. We've been away for a couple of weeks, and um, pleasure to be able to come and fill in while, for Gilbert while he's on vacation, praying that uh, yeah, he and Lisa just have a great time disconnecting. Let me start a little lighter than the video. We just got back from vacation last weekend, and uh, that's partly why these are up here. Uh, it's one in part for me a reminder, so uh, you'll, you'll find out more about that later. Um, but I was reminded when we, we went out uh, to the beach and we were down, I took the kids out surfing. Uh, the older ones have sort of boogie boarded before, but... Not really. This time we actually got them out, got them on the boogie boards. And as we were out there, uh, you know, I was impressed watching Zachary because, you know, he can't paddle fast enough yet to get up on a wave. But uh, we'd go out there and I'd pull his surfboard, you know, I'd pull his boogie board around and, and as the wave would come up, I'd push him forward. And I kept waiting for this moment like where I'd push him off on a wave and he'd go off on a wave and the next thing just, you know, just get barrel rolled by a wave. Never happened. Never happened. That, that little rug rat, every time on a wave, in, just, you know, I'd look and the wave would be breaking and I'd see all this foam and I'm waiting to see like a, a board shoot up in the air or a foot or something and, and, there, and he'd stand up, you know, off his board. Yeah, that was great. And then he'd turn around and go to walk back out and a wave would clobber him. <laughs> and it was fun watching that, but it, you know, it reminded me of when I was a teenager. I love boogie boarding. And one thing uh, you many people don't know about me is I learned to swim late. Like I just, I had this thing where I just didn't want to go in the deep, like I was okay jumping in the deep end and, and, and sort of making my way to the side, but I just didn't bother to learn to swim. And so I was a teenager and I loved the boogie board. And there I am out in the ocean getting hit by four or five foot waves and I can't swim. Yeah, I was not a strong swimmer, but I'm out there. Now my parents were not, you know, that, that helpless or hapless. They did watch and they made sure I was right there. But the one time I was out surfing, I should say boogie boarding for those who are surfers and are offended by me cross, crossing the terms, but I was boogie boarding, and uh, this, this at the time was my board, okay? And I was so excited because the year that we went out and, and I was using this board, I had found out you could get fins for your boogie board. And so on, as we got ready for vacation that year, Dad helped me, you know, drill the hole through the board and, and put, the, put the fins on. I mean, this is, this is from when I was like 12, so you understand how old this board is right now. But uh, I was so excited. I get out on a wave, and we went out at high tide, which was unusual. We normally went out at low tide because you get a better, better break of the waves. We go out at high tide because it was the only time we had. It was one of the last days we were there on vacation. I get, and I'm, I'm watching for this wave. And I didn't have any fins on, so I'm just paddling with bare feet. I didn't have, you know, any, any gear on. It's just my swim trunks, my board, and I'm out there, and I'm, I'm paddling away trying to get up on this wave. Well, I got up on one, and at high tide, for those of you who've never been, like, in the waves or, or what have you, at high tide, the waves don't have a lot of room between the time they break and by the time they hit the beach, okay? So it's a very short period of time from crest to beach, and I'm out there, wow, you know, and I see this big, you know, it's about four and a half foot wave comes up. Well, it's got two heads on it, and I don't realize that initially. And if, if none of you know what a two-headed wave is, basically it's got a double crest, and the first crest starts to break, but it only sort of breaks, and then the second crest comes over. Well, I didn't know that. So I'm, you know, I'm paddling away, I finally, I get up, and I think I'm in front of the wave, and I'm starting to ride, 
And all of a sudden, the bottom drops out because I was on the crest, the first one. And it drops me into the hole. My board goes this way. I go this way. And the second head of the wave crashes on me and just rolls me and rolls me and rolls me. I didn't know it at the time, but I had slid down along the fins. Right up on my chest. All I knew is I was underwater. And I thought I was swimming up. Now remember, I'm not a strong swimmer. But I at least knew how to paddle up for air. And I was in, you know, shallow enough water that I could bob and push off if I had to, right? I'm swimming down. Next thing I get is a handful of sand. And you ever see those movies where somebody's underwater and something dramatic happens and they go, and you don't really hear anything, you just, you see the bubbles, and, but you know something bad really happened? That was what happened. And that was the first time that I kind of understood what it felt like for an actor to try and reenact that underwater because it doesn't work well. I mean, you get a whole lot of water in your mouth and potentially your lungs because you're like, oh, wait, I can't breathe. So I turn around, I kick off, and I push up. Well, fortunately, by then, the water had, had washed out, the wave had pulled back, and it was shallow enough for me to stand up and get my air. And I come out of the water, and uh, my dad's like, what happened? And I'm like, oh, man, that wave it just you know, hit me and rolled me. And, and he's like, no, no, what happened? And I'm like, I just told you what happened. And, and I said, I just you know, kind of got disoriented. And he's like, no, look at your chest. And I had a, an S-curve carved into my left, uh, left part of my chest, and it was kind of too bad it wasn't in the middle, because, you know, the S, you know, Superman, you know, but, uh, you know but, but I ended up walking up the beach as we're leaving, you know, I was walking out the beach, and people were just looking like, what happened to him, and I'm like, shark, shark, but, you know, then, then later, in later years, I got, I got smarter, and I got a board with, with no fins, and a little bit slicker and faster, but um, I share that story because at the moment the wave hit me, the wave is on the horizontal, right? And one of the things when you're on water, it's really hard to, to keep your bearings because the water is constantly moving, right? So your awareness of the vertical is either by looking at the horizon or some stationary object to show you which way is up. When I got hit so hard by the horizontal motion of that wave and I got rolled, temporarily I had no awareness of which way was up. Now, Anybody feel like that in your daily life, where sometimes you just get hit so hard by a wave, something comes through on the horizontal, and you have a hard time knowing which way is up? Anybody? We, we, we can raise hands in here if we identify. If we don't identify, we keep the hand down, and you're just like, yeah, we don't, we don't know what you're talking about. But <laughs> it's all right, we're good, good. All right, so we're all human in here. That's great. You know, and, and life happens. Life will roll us. The challenge for us challenge for us right now is in our culture, there's a lot going on. You know, I came back from vacation, and then uh, I hear about everything going on in Charlottesville and everything across the nation. I mean, what a mess we are as a nation right now. What a mess. I honestly never thought in my lifetime, with all the progress we've made, that we would seem to slip backwards so quickly. But what's more shocking to me is that for all the ground we've made, what this, these latest events really demonstrate is how little we trust each other. 
how little we trust each other. See, there's a lot of opinions right now, riding really high, a lot of, lot of emotion, a lot of opinion. Who's right? Who's wrong? But our biggest problem in the current crisis is not the current crisis. Our biggest problem in the current crisis is not the current crisis. It's that we're so informed by the horizontal. We're so aware of the horizontal that we have completely lost our bearings on the vertical. Should I just stop now? Like we're all, <laughs> yep, got it. Good. But this, the hard part for all of us is we're so ingrained with what's going on in the horizontal. We not only lose perspective of the vertical, we're not even aware that we've lost perspective of the vertical. I mean, in the last week, I have talked with atheists. I've talked with, uh, just to put it this way, I've put with people across the whole spectrum, okay, of everything that's going on right now. And what amazes me is it really doesn't matter where people come from. They're using the horizontal to rewrite the vertical. If you listen carefully to what they're saying, you can actually hear it happening. That's our greatest problem. The horizontal is distracting us from the vertical. Turn with me to, uh, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, let's go to Matthew 15. Because this two-week series, what we want to do is we want to check your vertical. So this week is which way is up? You know, for obvious reasons, you know, I just shared the surfing analogy. You know, which way is up? We need to be able to get out of this horizontal wash and roll and figure out which way is up. And next week, we're going to look at which way is forward. So, you know, if it feels like this week kind of stops short of, of really concluding, it's, it's intentional because we're all going to come back next week and we're going we're to kind of roll this out. We're going to stop at a point this week where we really need to take it and do some self-inventory of how much horizontal we're, we're stuck in. And then next week, we can actually talk about how do we, how do we keep our vertical in a way that that we can move forward. So, Matthew chapter 15, verse 1. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's going to be up here on the screen. Verses 1 through 11. It says, Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. And Jesus replied, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your traditions? For God said, honor your mother and father. And anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you receive from me is a gift devoted to God. In other words, whatever resources I may have had that I could have helped you out with, they're actually a gift devoted to God. You say that they don't have to honor their mother and their father with it. Do you realize that you are nullifying the word of God for the sake of your tradition? You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but are, their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain because their teachings are but rules taught by men. Then Jesus called the crowd to himself and he said, listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that's what makes him unclean. Then the disciples came and said, well, hold on that for a second. <laughs> Little cliffhanger. 
Let me give you the, the backstory of what's going on with the Pharisees. And I know Gilbert in recent weeks has talked about uh, the, the Pharisees and, and kind of what their deal was. But there was a time frame where Israel had become disobedient to God. And God said, all right, look, you're not going to listen to me. Then I'm going to bring in a foreign kingdom. They're going to destroy everything we've built. And they're going to take you into captivity. It's the Babylonian captivity. So Israel's taken into Babylon. And they're there for a time. And after many years of being there, God graciously brings them back to Jerusalem under Nehemiah. You want to read more about that story, go to the book of Nehemiah and look at at when God brings them back to Israel in that process. Well, when they all got back, one of the big questions was, how do we not go there again? Has anybody ever gotten in, in major trouble with your parents or maybe your spouse? And your first thought after the, after the, the chaos settles and the, and, and the sting of the whatever happened, you know, the first thought is, how do I never go there again? For some of you, it's not a spouse or family member. Maybe it's the porcelain god on a weekend, you know, that you have a little trouble. And, and so you're, how do I never go there again? You know, whatever, whatever the issue is, you say, how do I not go there again? And so you start thinking of all these ways to avoid, and you realize that, that maybe it's a little too hard for you to get right up to the moment and make that decision. You don't have the willpower. You don't have the staying power to, to avoid it. So you start thinking of all the ways you can sort of put barriers and little, little flags that, okay, well, I'm, that's too close. So we're, we're going to come back here. And, and, and well, that's still too close because the last time I set that boundary, I stepped across it too easy, and then I fell right into that one. So we'll set it back a little further. This is what the Pharisees were doing. They become so concerned about keeping the commandments in the sense of not breaking them. They were so concerned about not going into captivity, not breaking the commandments again, that they started to pass all kinds of laws, all kinds of rules to keep people from breaking God's commands. They passed thousands of laws just to keep God's basic commands. And that was the rise of the Pharisee class of religious leaders, okay? It was so, their their passion to do so was so strong and their example so, um, so revered that when parables were told, There'd be a parable, and then it would end with, so like this person came along, and they messed it up, and this person came along, and they messed it up, a priest, a Levite, and then it would normally end with, and along came a Pharisee. And the Pharisee was the one who would do it right. This was the culture that had formed before Jesus came. The Pharisees were the class of religious leaders that always got it right. But the laws that they formed to keep you from breaking one of God's commands became so ridiculous that they were almost impossible to keep. Let me give you an example. So one of the commandments is do not work on the the day of rest, the Sabbath, right? So do not work on the day of rest. Well, the the conversation among the Pharisees, well, well, what's work? You know, it's not... Okay, in the spirit of not working and making sure that whatever we do honors God and we're not going to do anything that that brings us income on a day of rest, the conversation shifted to what's work? What's the minimum amount of some physical something I can do without getting in trouble? I mean, that's another way of saying it, right? 
And so they, they, what they did is they formed laws, and, and these are hilarious. When I went to Israel, it was hilarious because, you know, the guy sharing this, I was like, really? He goes, no, no, this is the world they lived in. So that to, to, uh, if the Sabbath came, okay, and you went to pick up your child, that's okay because you're picking up your child. It's a family member. You know, you're loving your child. That's a good thing. You can pick up your child. That's doing work, but it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not really work. But if your child is holding a piece of produce and you pick them up, that's doing work. You've broken the Sabbath. This is like, have you ever read those do not signs, like whenever you go somewhere, and there's always like that really outlandish one, like don't feed the sharks. You know, there's some, there's some really outlandish, you know, this, the reason it's there is because somebody did it. <laughs> somebody did it. Well, you know that that came along because somebody figured out that they technically weren't breaking the Sabbath by picking up their child, so they had their child pick up the produce and load it into the baskets. Hey, let's make a game of it. And so the Pharisees are like, no, 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 can't do that. But it gets even more ridiculous to the point that if, if you were going to spit on the Sabbath, if you're going to spit, you've got to spit on a rock. If you spit on a rock, that's Okay. If you spit on the dirt, the dirt moves and forms a rut. That's tilling the soil. You've broken the Sabbath. I I can't make this stuff up. This was really a law. Now, I don't know about you and me. I do have a garden, but the idea that I would actually take and spit my way through the garden, you'd have to bring me, like, gallons of water. (laughs) But this is what's going on. And so when the Pharisees say to Jesus, why do, your, why do your disciples eat without washing their hands? Initially, it looks like he's kind of copping off at them, doesn't it? It looks like he's kind of saying, well, who do you think you are? You know, well, why do you break the tradition? But Jesus does it the way he does to show them that even asking their question reveals something about their heart and their perspective that they had missed the point. Because what Jesus confronts them on is that they've created a law by which somebody could take resources that they have and say that's a gift dedicated to God. And they can't touch it. And so if their parents and their family need help, well, hey, you know, I'm sorry. Mom, Dad, I love you, but I can't give you that because that's a gift devoted to God. And he says, you've broken the command of God to honor your father and mother, to not curse your mother and father to love and care for them and support them. You've broken that by establishing a tradition whereby somebody could devote a part of their resources to God and be off the hook for for using it. That wasn't a command of God. That was something they had created by the tradition. Again, you know somewhere along the way, somebody had given something to God. Oh, I need that back. You know? So Jesus confronts them and shows them that. And that brings me to our first point. Fear and caution can cause me to set boundaries that would lead me off course. Now, let me explain that a little bit. Boundaries can be good, right? Boundaries can actually keep us on course. Good boundaries keep us on course, and we need to set good boundaries. But when fear and caution or fear and undue caution are the root of why that boundary gets set, it's likely going to lead us off course because our motive is fear. 
Our motive is caution with wrong information. Does that make sense? So fear and caution can cause me to set boundaries that will lead me off course. And in, in the next section there, in verses 10 and 11, Jesus says this. Hear and understand. And then he goes on in verse 12. He says, hear and understand. Listen, what goes into a man's mouth does not make him unclean, but what comes out of his mouth, that's what makes him unclean. And the disciples come and say, do you know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Remember, the Pharisees were the one that when the parable ended, they were the example, like they were the ones that lift up. Do you know they were offended? I love Jesus' response. Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into a pit. I don't think that last part really takes a lot of explanation, right? I mean, we kind of get that. When we understand that if a leader's off course, if somebody's off course and they're setting boundaries or rules or guidelines, if we're off course and we're setting boundaries and rules and guidelines for ourselves that are leading us in the wrong direction, we're going to fall. And anybody who's following us is going to fall as well. What's interesting is when Jesus starts that whole statement, when he says, listen, what goes into a man's mouth doesn't make him unclean, but what comes out, he says, uh, hear and understand. Uh, the Greek word is, uh, and it's not that this is really important to you, and it's really hard for me to say, but it's akouo sinieme. But the reason I share that is because when you put those words together, they carry a certain emphasis. Okay, so when Jesus says, hear and understand, the emphasis is this. It carries the idea of listening with the intention to respond. It's not just information. See, in our Western culture, we get used to information just kind of, it passes in, passes out, and then we decide whether or not we're going to act on it, right? We just let it kind of wash through. I mean, like today's message, you're going to let it wash through, and maybe about 3 o'clock this afternoon, you're going to have decided whether or not it was valuable enough for you to do anything about it, right? I mean, it's just the way we are. That's our culture. That's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus says, hear and understand, meaning Listen intently with the intention of putting this into practice. So make sure you are clear on what I'm saying. Jesus then confirms to his disciples that the Pharisees had become so concerned about not breaking the law that they forgot how to keep it. Did you catch that? The Pharisees had become so concerned about not breaking the law that they had forgotten how to keep it. And that's why he says they're blind guides. So let's pause and ask ourselves a question for a moment. Who are the blind guides I'm listening to? When I say I, I mean I, like you ask that of yourself. Because you don't know the blind guides I might be listening to. That's for me to figure out and deal with. But who are the blind guides I'm listening to? Who are the blind guides I'm following? Who are the blind guides in my Twitter feed, in my Facebook, in the news, the radio? Listening to them talk about the circumstances. Are we listening to those people or those resources or those Twitter feeds? Are we listening to them with the intention of putting into practice what they are saying? Is what they're saying even something that can be put into practice? 
Because there's a whole lot of chatter, right? There's a whole lot of chatter. I don't know that there's a whole lot of action, helpful action. Whole lot of chatter. But let's say that, that these voices that are out there, that all this horizontal conversation, that there are actually some things you could put into practice. Have we stopped and thought about what, what are the risks? What, what good could happen? What bad could happen? Have we approached the information with the idea of actually putting it into practice? Or do we just have an emotional response to it? There's a difference. There's a thoughtful response that, that, that sort of demands dialogue. It demands a back and forth. It demands a figuring out of how do we go forward together. Or there's an emotional response that just says, I reject your reality and I substitute my own. And let's take it one step deeper. Are these horizontal voices we're listening to, do they honor God? Are they even concerned with honoring God? Do they even believe there is a God? Check the source. Are they just a horizontal voice? Is there no vertical in what they're saying? If so, should be careful. At the risk of knowing who I am, what I am, and and what shade I am, I'm going to go here, and I'm going to go here gently. Because you need to understand what's happening in our culture is completely inappropriate right now on many levels. We cannot tolerate racism in any way. But do you see what's happening right now is a lot of labeling? There's a lot of declaring of what is or is not racist. There's a lot of discussion. But there's very few people who are demonstrating what unity, what compassion, what love, and grace, and mutual submission to one another is. Do we recognize that in our culture? There's a lot of chatter, a lot of finger pointing in every direction, but there's very few who are demonstrating the kind of love that says, I'm with you. No matter how bad it gets, we're together. And we are going to bring others together in this. One of the, uh, take it completely out of that context, one of the worst advertising campaigns for Oldsmobile. Okay, I told you we're going to go completely out of context because I think when we're out of that context, we take away that emotional reaction and we can think about it. One of the worst advertising campaigns for Oldsmobile Happened when I was, was a little bit younger. Some of you may not be old enough to remember it. But, uh, but it went something like this. This is not your... Well, say, it, say it again. This is not your father's Oldsmobile, right? This is not your father's Oldsmobile. And, and it, it's catchy. For those of us who grew up in that generation, and we heard that over and over and over again. We're like, yeah, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. You know, what, what Oldsmobile had done is they had taken their, their jalopy that, that was, was considered to be basically an older person's car, right? And they, they retuned it. They redesigned it. And they launched it out. And I think it was like early 80s is when this, is, when this happened. And they said, you know, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. And so everybody's like, well, cool, yeah, it doesn't look like my father's Oldsmobile, 
So? You see what they missed? They told you what it's not, but they didn't tell you what it is. They didn't identify the group that they were marketing to. They didn't connect the dots to say, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. This is the Oldsmobile of another generation. They didn't do that. They missed it. It's one simple addition to the statement or the slogan, missed it. Completely, and they did, they, that, they did not do well during that marketing campaign because they failed to define their audience. Do you understand the same thing is happening in our culture? There's a lot of people who are, who are doing a lot of pointing, and a lot of, but they're not identifying the path and the way that we should be living and loving together. Which brings us to the second point. When I'm off course, I will lose sight of what's true. And so will anyone following me. When I'm off course, I will lose sight of what's true, and so will anyone following me. And you know, it actually becomes harder. The more off course we get, the, it becomes harder and harder and harder to demonstrate what is good. It becomes easier and easier and easier to talk about it, but harder and harder and harder to demonstrate it, the more off course we are. Because we're so far away from the, the, the understanding and the lifestyle that we actually need to have in order to demonstrate it. Those of you who are trying to lose a few pounds, you know exactly what I'm saying, right? The farther and farther and farther, you know, and, and I understand I'm not pointing fingers at anybody because, you know, there's, I'm, believe it or not, I'm in that group, you know, <laughs> and I know exactly when I'm off course, the harder and harder and harder it is for me to, to stay on track. Thank goodness my daughter is out for cross country because that has really kicked my butt uh, in, in more ways than one. You know, it actually becomes harder. Most people are arguing on Facebook today about racism in America probably do not have the guts to do what it really takes to solve the problem. We want to argue passionately. We want to name call passionately. We want a virtue signal. We want to make lots of noise, but we do not want to do the one thing most needed to end the division amongst us, and that is to fall to our knees before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you are God. Not me. And surrender any sense of our own power and control to the one who is the only one with power and control. See, we, we've, we've totally missed the illusion. The idea that we actually have power and it's an illusion in this world. We have none. Only he does. But as long as we keep scrapping over the pieces that we think we can control, Division, derision, it will all continue. So as the horizontal chatter goes on, start challenging people. Do you have the guts to do what it's going to take, to, to submit yourself to Jesus, to let him really be the one in control, to let him be the one who demonstrates the power to love, to care, to be a united people? See, God's mercy and his power is going to do way more than trying to rebalance our own sense of power. It's only the humility of us standing before God that can change our hearts, change our lifestyle in a way where we can stand together. But let's move away from that, that part of our culture for just a moment 
and continue down just a couple things on our own. Maybe we don't hear and understand God in a way that we can obey Him. Maybe we just don't hear God and understand God in a way that we can obey Him because we're too busy trying to figure out how we can live the way we want to. Remember that, that principle? Well, if I'm off course, it becomes harder and harder for me to live the way that I should or demonstrate it. Maybe our concept is kind of like the Pharisees where we're just trying to get by under the radar. We're trying to set those boundaries so that we don't, we don't break it. We don't want to break it. We don't want to get in trouble, but we're not actually focused on how do we live it. Or maybe we're too confident of our own opinion and we're unwilling to consider what we, where we have missed the point. When Jesus says, hear and understand, he wants us to challenge all of that. All of our boundary setting, all of what we think we know, he wants us to come to him and say, what do you know, God? Change what I know to match what you know. Let's look at the last couple of verses. Matthew 15, 15 through 20. Peter goes to Jesus and says, please explain the parable to us. He actually doesn't even say please. He just says, explain the parable to us. And Jesus responds, are you still so dull? I just, I love that because there are moments where, where, you know, Jesus does things and people are like, well, Jesus is always nice and he's always soft and he's always loving. And, you know, you know I th- he's being loving here, but he's also confronting something just like he did with the Pharisees. Um, Peter. Are you listening? Because actually the words he uses in Greek are the words that mean the exact opposite of what he said to the crowd. Hear and understand. What he says to Peter is, have you not heard and understood? In other words, are you not listening? And he makes his final point in a way that actually gives us a test to to test this out in ourselves. So hang in there because I'm going to give this to you. He says, are you still so dull? Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes through the stomach and out of the body? But the, don't worry, I'm not going to break that verse down. But the, things that come out, but the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart. These are what make a man or a woman or anybody who speaks unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean, but eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. The disciples had the same problem we do. They got caught up in the horizontal chatter, and they missed the point that Jesus was making. They had been so indoctrinated over the years with all the parables that say, along came a Pharisee that they had trouble separating with what, from what the Pharisees always taught from what Jesus was trying to help them understand. They were stuck. They missed God's purpose in his command, the thing they were supposed to live out, because the Pharisees didn't teach how to live the command well. They just taught how not to break it. So some of you know I have a hobby in pottery. What if, what if, I, you know, if I gave you a piece of pottery or you bought a piece of pottery from me And I had a list on there of things that you should not do. So if I said, you know, do not throw pottery at concrete. It will shatter. Do not hit this mug with a hammer. It will break. 
Do not swing it around wildly on the end of a chain attached to a lawnmower because it will crack. And what if I just had this ongoing list of things to not do with the mug? If you got to the end of that list, is there going to be at least one part of you that says, I'm not sure I want to drink from it now. It seems awfully fragile to me. This is what the Pharisees had done. The rules were set up so far back to keep you from breaking a command that nobody knew how to live. And you know, when we have a piece of something, when we have something that's valuable, and we set it on a shelf, and it demands a lot of care and a lot of attention, but it has no practical use, you know what we call that? An idol. It's an idol. The Pharisees had taken the laws, and they turned them into idols. Unintentionally, but it happened. So when they asked the question, why do your disciples eat with unwashed hands? Jesus is like, dude, do you not hear what you just asked me? The asking of the question just revealed how off point you are. (laughs) In their desire to be safe, they created the idols. They trapped themselves in the horizontal rules. And Jesus' solution to the test, and the test is pretty easy. It's it's simply this. That's our last point. My output can glorify God or it can defile me because it reveals my faith or my idols. You understand? That's what Jesus was saying. When he says it's not what goes into our mouth that makes us unclean. It's what comes out of our mouth because what comes out of our mouth expresses what's in the heart. And so whatever my output is will display whether I am glorifying God with my life and my thoughts and the things that I understand, or whether I'm defiled by the horizontal chatter, I'm defiled by selfish motives. Whatever comes out will reveal whether or not I have faith or whether or not I'm following an idol. So if you want to know what's in someone's heart, listen carefully to what they say. Listen to how they say it. Now, now, I know some of you are really good at assuming and, and really good at jumping to conclusions. So I'm not saying that. I'm not saying listen partly to what somebody says and then jump to conclusions about, well, they must be that. I'm not saying that. And some of us are really slow at catching on too. We, we, don't, don't, jump, we don't ever jump to conclusions. We're like, oh, I'm not sure he meant that. I'm saying listen carefully. And if you need clarity, ask questions. Because what comes out of someone's mouth will tell you what they believe. It will tell you where their strength in God is and where their idols are. You'll hear it. Those of you who are in small group and you've been a part of those discussions, you know moments you've come around and you've heard that in in people's lives and you've probably seen moments where somebody says, you know what, I've been saying this for a long time and I need to stop saying that because it represents something that I know is not good. And that needs to die. It needs to change because it's an idol. And if you haven't had that happen in a small group setting, then you know that understand the loving community that you have will make it possible for those types of changes to happen. But if you, want to te- if you want to know where somebody's heart is, listen carefully, and then be aware of how they and you dress up all kinds of ideas in great language. We have a real good, good way of doing that. We, we dress all kinds of excuses. We even take brokenness and we make it sound very nice. Guys are really bad at this. How you doing? Great. That kind of ends the conversation right there. 
And you say, well, well what's so great about it? Well, you know, my car broke down. I'm getting a divorce. I'm just, you know, well, I thought you said your life was great. Well, you know, that's the standard guy answer. You know, it's just... We need to listen. We can find out what's going on in somebody's heart. We can get beyond the brokenness. But if we listen to our own language, ask yourself, what am I saying that reveals what I believe? That reveals where my vertical's on track or where I'm stuck in the horizontal? What vows have you made? You know what I mean when you say, that will never happen or never again, right? That's a vow. Those are dangerous vows. It's the same kind of vow the Pharisees made and led them to a place where they were so concerned with not going there again that they were no longer able to live free and enjoy God. What attacks have you leveled with sarcasm or guilt or fault-finding? Come on, I know we do it. What wounds do you cover with humor or defensive language or misdirection? You want a litmus test for where your heart is. Take what Jesus says. Your output will tell you whether you're honoring God or you're defiled, whether you have faith or whether it's an idol. And you may have faith in one place and you may have an idol in another. It's important to recognize those and tear out the idols. So if you want to check your vertical, check and see if your life is revealing God's best, then run the tape back to this morning's conversations. (laughs) Some of you had some rough conversations getting out the door to get here. Maybe some of you didn't. Great job. Go back through the last week. Family, friends, coworkers. Twitter feed, Facebook. Go back through the last month. Where are you revealing your faith and the, the, the surety of the vertical and where do you have an idol? And, and we're going to talk next week about how to move forward and get those idols out of the way and start getting ourselves on track. But the first thing we have to do is be able to identify it. Because we know in our heart of hearts what we lace in through our conversation, don't we? We really do. If we're honest with ourselves, we really know what we lace in through the conversations. So I share with you, I started with the beach, I'm going to end with the beach. Because that was pretty deep. And whenever you get into something really deep, it's always helpful to just kind of hear the, you know. But this is also going to be true confession. Because you need to hear what's going on in my heart. I can get up here and I can give a, a message like this and I can try to get us all on course and I can say all the right words that everybody in the room, no matter where we come from, we can be like, yeah, you know, I can get behind that and I see God in that and so on. But you need to understand what I'm also demonstrating. So we go on vacation a full week. I actually, I was so desperate for this vacation because we've had eight months with a hard new client that I've been working on. And then we had two and a half months of just really rough patch with my dad and his health. And so vacation couldn't come soon enough. And, when it, and then the power went out on the islands and we weren't sure we were going to get there. And it, they got the power restored the day before we went down. We went, and it was just one of those things like, thank you, God. And I had a whole week of just, like, relaxing. Now, I felt like I fully unwound. Allison might tell you differently uh, over the course of the week, but from my perspective, I felt like I fully unwound. And we came back Monday, 
And it wasn't the chaos in the media and the social, you know, I, you know, I've been doing this long enough to sort of try and insulate myself from getting sucked into that. It was just work. It was work and family life in 40, less than 48 hours after getting back from vacation. Wednesday it was. I said to Allison, I, I just, I'm wound so tight, I don't know which way is up. I'm already, I'm back 48 hours from vacation, and I'm already so frustrated. And I'm angry, and I don't even know why I'm angry. Nobody's immune from it. We all face this kind of stuff. And in the midst of that, what I knew I needed to do was get back on the vertical. Because the reason I'm wound tight is all horizontal. It's all horizontal. It's all the idea that I somehow have to control all of this mess. And that if I don't, it's all going to fall apart. And the reality is I have no control. None. I take care of the responsibility I have to take care of. Trust God for the rest. It's the only way I could hit the reset button. And actually, I've been pounding that stinking button the whole rest of the week. <laughs> I, think, I think the button's broken. I mean, as, as, as even as late as yesterday afternoon, I was still punching that button, you know, going, God, help. Sometimes it does take a while for those idols and that wash of stuff in the horizontal to be set aside. But I want to invite you this week, as you go into this week, take the time. Maybe you won't have to really pay that much attention because it'll just be right in front of you like it was for me. Maybe you have to do a little digging, but take the time and say, God, what's coming out of here that's revealing what's going on in my heart that shows where I'm out of alignment on the verdict. I'm totally out of alignment with you and I'm just totally stuck in the horizontal. Would you do that this week? And then next week we'll come together and we'll look at how do we go forward? How do we get some traction and some momentum? And hopefully by then I'll have stopped pounding the button and God will actually show me something uh, that I can share with you. Uh, so let's pray. Father, I do thank you so much that regardless of where we find ourselves, you are in control. You have grace. You have love. You have mercy. And I thank you, God, that again and again and again, we can come back to you that no matter how bad today is or tomorrow, your mercy is new every morning. God, as we go into this week, would you help us, would you by your Holy Spirit, just, just being beside us, whispering in our ear, tapping us on the shoulder, maybe an audible voice if we have to have it, but Lord, calling out those places where we are out of alignment with you. Help us to hear it in those around us too, those horizontal voices we listen to. Help us to hear it with absolute clarity and just be shocked at how much we've allowed sideways information to shape our thinking. And then, Lord, speak to us. As your word says, that we'd be, renew we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Renew our minds, Lord. As we get wired back into you and we lay aside those idols, we lay aside that side information. Join us this week, Lord, in this journey. Show us those places we need to lay down. 
And if we're in a position where we're supposed to help somebody else lay down their idol, give us the compassion and the mercy to walk with them in that so that they too can check their vertical. God, we love you and we thank you. And we're so grateful you're patient with us. In Jesus' name, amen.